open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 this morning. Glad to see all of you here that the rain did not keep you away. You prove that you won't melt and nobody will, right? We get a little bit wet. I, uh, I feel for those who made an excuse because it was raining not to come to church. They'll miss a blessing, amen? I'm glad to see you here this morning. Today I want to talk to you about uh, things that are new. We read a couple of scriptures earlier uh, about God making things new. I don't know about you, but I'm going to just speak for me right now and say that when uh, I was a newer, younger Christian, I, I was wondering about uh, things in my life. I was wondering about uh, uh, the guilt of sin. I was wondering about making God uh, pleased. I was wondering about how to do that. I felt many times in those first few years that perhaps I wasn't really saved. Maybe I didn't say the prayer correctly. Maybe I didn't uh, uh, do things the way I was supposed to do things. So I would even end up questioning my salvation from time to time. And I want you to know, if you, if you feel like that, or if you have felt like that, that's not from God. Okay, God doesn't cause you to question your salvation. But we certainly know that the enemy is behind that. We certainly need to understand something else about our salvation. That it was all by Him. It was not by you. Okay, you don't do enough to become pleasing to Him in order for Him to save you. You're not good enough in order for God to save you. You're not bad enough in order for God not to save you. That plays into our mind because that's how Satan wants us to think. That we uh, have merit. That we deserve salvation. And so he fools us and tricks us into thinking falsely about salvation. I want to talk to you about uh, salvation, perhaps in a new light for you today. And so we're going to find that light in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's stand together and we're going to read a couple of single verses in that chapter. Then we'll finish with a couple of more that are together. Let's look down at verse 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9. Before we read, I want to ask you the question, what motivates you to be with Christ? What motivates you to come to church? What motivates you to serve Him? What motivates you to be um, His child? What motivates you toward heaven? All right? Let's think about those things as we read verse 9. Therefore also we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. Okay, I get that one. I'm, I have a goal in my life to be pleasing to God. How am I going to do that? Verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us. Having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. Verse 15, and he died for all that they who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. 
Now I see that the love of Christ motivates me. I want to be pleasing to God. Verse 14, verse, uh, 15, uh, verse 9, verse 14 says, The love of Christ motivates me. Let's go down to verse 17. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Amen. Let's pray. Father, bless us with the knowledge of these new things this morning in our life. Help me to be secure in my uh, salvation. Help me to know, Father, that you have done it all for me. And all I need to do is to walk with you. And Lord, I pray today that each person here sees that and understands it. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Sometimes motivation for our lives requires something new. If we get into the same routine of life, doing the same thing every day, same job, same place, same people, same pay, same this, same that, same home, same bed, same food, we get into a, a routine. Sometimes we can get into a rut, right? So to be motivated in that same old lifestyle, something new needs to come along. Something different needs to come along. When you were saved as a Christian, or maybe you're not a Christian as of yet, when you become saved, and if you are a Christian, when you got saved, God took all of that old out, and He put new in. And I want to talk to you today about that process, about how that takes place, and what that involves. You might have an idea when Paul wrote, any man in Christ is a new creature, a new creation, the old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. You may have an idea what that new thing is. Maybe it was a, a new desire to go to church. Maybe it was a, a new desire for something uh, unusually different in your life. But it goes so much farther than that. And that's what I don't want you to miss today. Let's talk about all of the things that God took out and removed from my life and the new that He put into my life. So that involves some things like the Old Covenant, all right? We, we call them the Old and the New Testament. The Bible refers to them often as the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. So in the Old Covenant, what was it that... And by the way, if you are not a Christian, you're still living under the Old Covenant, okay? You are still under the law of God, the law of Moses, so to speak, you are still held to that under the old covenant, being without Christ. In Christ now, the old covenant is removed, and I no longer live according to that. Now I live to the new covenant. And this is not something that I'm making up. This is found in the Bible. Jeremiah spoke about it. And God told Jeremiah, the day's coming when I will take the old and I will put a new heart in man. I will put a new spirit within him. I will write my law on his heart. Not just on tablets of stone that Moses carried around. I'm going to write these on his heart. So we see God preparing in the old covenant for the coming of the new covenant. The new covenant was found in Christ. Didn't Jesus say at the night of his of the Passover meal with his disciples, he said, this, this cup, this 
is the blood of the new covenant. Amen? So when the disciples partook of that Passover meal with Jesus and, and drank that cup representing the blood of Christ and bringing the new covenant. So now you and I live in New Testament times, New Covenant times, but we can still be under the old law if we're not in Christ. So you've got to be in Christ. And when that happens, then this old covenant is removed from you and you now are living in a new covenant. What is a covenant? We don't often use that word in our English much. I don't anyway, unless I'm at church talking about the old and new covenant. What is, the co- what is a covenant? It's an agreement. It is a, similar to a contract. It is similar to a commitment to one another. And God is the one who brought this out. Man did not come to God and say, I want to make a covenant with you. Alright? God came to us and said, I want to make a covenant with you. And so we said, yay, to that. And we wanted that new covenant. So God bringing the covenant, He's the one who initiates it. He's the one who established it. He's the one who is going to exercise it. He, therefore, bringing it, establishing it, causing it to happen, know this, He will never break it. If God could break this covenant with you, He would not be God. He would be a liar. He told us, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you. I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. He made a promise. God brought the covenant to you. Since God brought it to you and He established it, He will never renege on it. He will never revoke this covenant. It is secure as eternity. Right? Understand that. This old covenant has been brought to man. God established it. And God began it. He will never revoke it. Now... When one comes into Christ, then this old covenant is subsided for the new covenant. Again, God brought the new covenant. He won't revoke on it. He won't renege on it. He won't cancel it. It is there as long as you are living this covenant between you and God. That is something that we come to Christ, the old passes away, Behold, all things become new. A new covenant that I am now living under. Let's talk about this new covenant. Well, when we talk about it, God making all of these promises, look what Paul wrote about God's promises in 2 Corinthians. Same book, earlier chapter. He wrote this, For as many as may be the promises of God, in Him they are yes. Okay? Wherefore, also by Him is our Amen to the glory of God through us. God made a promise to you. There will never be a no answer. Okay? And a promise made to you by God. Never, ever will there be a no to you in the promise of God. To us they are yes. And by that yes we say Amen, God. We agree, God. We are grateful, God. We understand, God, your promises are true. And this covenant is a promise that God brought to us. There are certain things involved in this new covenant. They are promises to us. 
They are, our sins are forgiven. Uh, my salvation is assured. There is nothing that God promised to me that will fail. So I must never lose sight of this covenant with God. Don't question your salvation. It's not up to you. God brought the covenant to you. God provided it. God established it. All you did was receive it. So don't think for a minute that you don't have it. Because the promise of God to you is yes. Okay? Understand that, believer. Understand that person who's looking for God. You can come to Him. He's trustworthy. He is reliable. He is everlasting God. And His promises are yes to His people. So, nothing will fail us of a promise of God. Our security in Christ is not based upon my feelings. How many times have I had a person come to me and they say, Brother Clay, I don't feel like I'm saved. I said, good. <laughs> I'm being silly. I, I, I don't want, I've never said that to anybody, but you understand what I mean? I don't feel like I'm saved. Listen, how many of us have ever been in that situation? Come on, raise your hand. I don't feel like I'm saved. What am I basing that on? I'm basing that on my behavior. I'm basing that on my failure. I'm basing that on my emotions. I'm basing the solid salvation of God in a covenant with Him upon how I feel. Bad, bad, bad. You are not saved by your feelings. You are not saved by your emotions. You are not saved by your concerns or your effort. You are saved by the grace of God. Okay? None of us in this room deserve to be saved. We have all broken God's command. We've all broken His old covenant law. Right? But under the new covenant, we don't live under that law anymore. We live under grace. We don't take that grace to use it as a license in our billfold to go around sinning. And we whip out our grace card. Hey, I got a grace card. God's going to forgive me for that. You know, I've had friends of mine uh, back in high school smoking pot. Okay, and one of them was a church going guy and I, I, I didn't even go that much, but I put two and two together. I said, that don't work. That, that doesn't work. Marijuana and going to church just doesn't work. And you know what he said? God will forgive me. God will forgive me. God will forgive me. God will forgive me. And I, not being a Christian, couldn't put that together either. Because I knew better. You don't carry a license to sin and call it grace. Amen? So, understand that. We're not saved by our efforts. We're not saved by our emotions, our concern, or our feelings. Our salvation is based upon this covenant relationship with God. God brought it to you. You didn't go looking for it. The Bible says no one looks for God. No one's seeking after Him. God pursues us. God seeks after us. And when He gets your attention, He presents you with the covenant. Amen. And many of you in this room have received that covenant. Some of you have not. And so you're living under the old covenant still by the law. 
instead of the new covenant of grace. What is this old covenant? Well, let's talk about it for a minute. Is it the Abrahamic covenant where God told Abraham to leave his family and, and go to a place where God would show him? And he would live there and he would have descendants as many as the stars in the heavens and the sand of the sea. And God said, whoever blesses you, I will bless. Whoever curses you, I will curse. No, that's not the covenant that we're talking about. That was to Abraham and to the Jewish people. The covenant that we're talking about came from Mount Sinai and Moses. And God established that covenant for all of men everywhere on the earth. He handpicked the Jew to bring it to us. Okay? He didn't pick an American to take it to the world. God picked a Jew to take it to the world. That's just how it worked. And so he picked Moses, and Moses brought it down, written on stone, and this was the law of God, the covenant at Mount Sinai. It was pure law. Okay? In that covenant, then, that covenant was actually serving the future of grace. Here's what I mean by that. You and I could not live that covenant of law. We failed at it. All of us have told a lie. A little white lie. It's still a lie. Amen. And God said in His covenant of law, do not lie. All of us have taken something probably that wasn't ours. Even if it was just a measly piece of gum or a pencil or a penny in our friend's desk at school. Whatever the case, God said, do not steal. So we've all broken that covenant of the old, that, that law of God. And so in doing that, God was showing us something. He was showing us that we could not live up to it. And in order for a man to get close to a holy God, a man had to live perfectly. And since we were not able to do that, then it pointed us somewhere else. That old law was meant to point us to the Savior. Amen. I couldn't live that old law. God, what do I do to get close to you? He said, look right over there. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so we all turned our gaze from the law to the Savior. That was the whole intent of the law, giving it to us to show us we couldn't live it, but to point us to Jesus. The old covenant removed, pointing us to the new covenant that God was making with all men everywhere. In the old covenant, God said this, You shall. God looked down from heaven and He pointed at each one of us and He said, You shall. You shall not steal. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. You shall not tell a lie. In the Old Covenant, it was you shall. But when God brought Jesus in the New Covenant, He changed that. And He now says, I shall. I shall. I will carry the burden of your sin. I will build the altar. I will hang on the cross for you. I will save you from your sin. You see that? 
Isn't that beautiful for us to see that any man in Christ is a new creation? The old things have passed away. Now new things have come. It is no longer I shall be pleasing to God. It is that God shall take care of me. God shall provide for us. God will do it for us. God is the one who makes the way for us. Salvation is of the Lord. What else motivates you to understand that? God's taken the burden away from us and put it on Himself. Wow, what a beautiful picture of the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Let's go on to something else. Putting off the old man and putting on the new man. Any man who is in Christ is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Paul writes about this old man and new man throughout the New Testament for us. And I want to make it clear for you now. This old man is not your flesh necessarily or your sinful nature Why? Because you still battle that every day. Okay? As a Christian, that old sinful nature is still within me. In Christ, however, I've been given a new nature. A spiritual nature. The spiritual nature is the one that I should follow. The one that I should listen to. But every once in a while, that old sinful nature rears up his old ugly head and he, gets, he, he tricks me. He twists things up and he fools me. And I surrender and fall prey to his plan, to his sin, to his temptation. The old man is not that sinful nature in you. The old man is who you were before Christ. You all know my testimony. You've heard it several times in Gail and mine's testimony. How God took away the, the things out of our life that were wrong. The drugs, the drinking, all of those things. God removed them from our life. Instantly. I'm telling you, instantly. The moment I received Him as Savior, that was gone out of my life. Now, because of that, I had people come to me and, and see how I was involved in the church and Gail and I and say, hey, would you come and speak at our, at our meetings for Narcotics Anonymous and Alcoholics Anonymous? And, and so I said, sure, I'll, I'll come and share my testimony. And when I went there, I, I realized something. That you sit down in a big circle in those things and every person there introduces themselves, and then they admit that they're an alcoholic. And when it came around to me, I couldn't say that. Because I wasn't an alcoholic. Jesus Christ set me free. I'm no longer who I used to be. I am a new man. Any man in Christ is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, the new things have come. And so I, I didn't express that to them at that meeting, but I did not go back to those meetings because that 12-step program was keeping those people trapped in their alcoholism. 
And they were winning the battle by their power, by their sheer will to survive. They were not winning by Christ making them new. You see that? I'm not bashing people that go to those meetings. If that's what people have to do to be clean and stay healthy, go for it. Do it. But I want you to understand something. If you are in Christ, you have become a new person. That old life is dead. That old man is dead. What did Paul say in Galatians 2.20? I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. You see that? That old man's not your sinful nature. It's not your flesh that you fight every day as a Christian. That old man is who you used to be. You used to be this, but in Christ you are now this. You are new. You are pure. You are clean. He wiped the slate clean, sometimes we say. Really, what we're saying there is He annihilated that old man that you used to be. When you come to Christ... You actually die. When you get put into these baptismal waters, what is the representation there? A picture of. When you go back under that water. What is that a picture of? That's you dying. That's your death to your old life. And when you come up out of that water, that is your resurrected life into the new man that God has made you to be. Hallelujah for that. God takes the old of us and kills it, and then He brings a new life to us. Why do you think Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again to see the kingdom of God? You see that? That's how it works. That's the old and the new. That's the beauty of salvation. That's the picture of being in Christ and being made new and clean. I love that. It's irreversible. It doesn't change. It's not put off. It never goes away. That man is dead. I say it's not the flesh or the sinful nature because we read even in the New Testament of disciples having problems. Uh, Peter told everybody that uh, when the Jews showed up, Peter jumped away from the Gentiles and he ate dinner over here with the Jews <laughs> because the Jews don't eat with the Gentiles. But Peter had been hanging out with the Gentiles the whole week. And here come some Jewish leaders from Jerusalem. What does Peter do? He runs over here to this table. He says, oh, bad Gentiles. And he sits down and eats with the Jews. Paul walks in the door. He calls him out on it. What are you doing, Peter? What are you doing that for? Amen. These men, these Gentiles are just as much in Christ as any man sitting at that table. Amen? We don't do that, do we? We don't, we don't play prejudice and stuff like that, do we? Amen. I hope not. I hope not. And, and think of another story. Paul and Barnabas, great missionaries, going off and winning people to God. And here comes John Mark, right? And Paul and Barnabas get in an argument. Two Christian men, two great Christian missionaries get in an argument over this boy, this young missionary. Paul says, he ain't going with me. Barnabas says, come on, Paul, take him with us. Paul says, no, he ain't going with me. 
the great Apostle Paul turning somebody down to go on a mission trip. You know what? The argument got so intense, the Bible tells us that Paul and Barnabas split ways over a young man named John Mark. We all fight the flesh every day. That old man is dead. We still fight temptation. Okay? Understand that. What a beautiful picture God is giving us. The old man is dead, but we are no longer under the lordship of that old man. He's gone. We are now ruled by a new king and a new lord, the Lord Jesus Christ. We get a new covenant. We get a new man. Let's look what else we get out of this new thing. We get new cleansing. All right? And what do I mean by that? Well, in the Old Testament, as you'll remember, uh, there were a lot of things that people were required to do, and it was called holy living. There were holy vessels. There were holy uh, ground, holy city. There was holy buildings. There was holy utensils. There was holy this. There was holy that. All of that in the Old Covenant represented that God was the owner of it. It was set apart for God to use. It was holy. Set apart is what that means. And it was God's possession and for God's use in His temple and other things. So what happened? God said, now, before you can come into this holy place, you've got to clean yourself up. You've got to, as a priest, you're going to have to wash your hands. You're going to have to wash your body. You're going to have to wash your feet. You're going to have to wash your clothes. Don't come in my house dirty. That's what God was saying. It was a ceremonial cleansing, okay? To cleanse the body, the outside of the man. Right? So now we go those thousands of years under that law. We come to the time of Jesus. And now Jesus and His disciples are walking through a wheat field and one of the disciples rakes his hands through the wheat. It's ready for harvest, and he gets him a handful of grain, starts eating it. The Pharisees see that, and they blow up. They run to Jesus and said, Hey, your disciples violated the law. He did not wash his hands. And he didn't do it even on the Sabbath day. So Jesus goes into this long teaching to them about cleansing. Right? And he said, You Pharisees, you're like whitewashed tombs. You're so beautiful on the outside and clean, but on the inside, what did he say? Full of dead man's bones. Right? You Pharisees are like whitewashed tombs. You're clean on the outside. Everybody likes what you look like. Everybody admires what you do on the outside. But inside you, you're full of dead men's bones. Amen? So Jesus says something's changing. It's not that we're supposed to go around dirty, all right? But the Old Testament law brought cleansing, ceremonial cleansing. And what happened with that? The people's focus began to be turned from purity of the heart to religious cleansing. And they were more concerned about you washing your hands or wearing a mask or doing this or doing that than what your heart was on the inside. Jesus came along and all of that went away. All of that changed. Jesus said it wasn't about the outside being clean and the outside being holy. It's what happens on the inside of a man. We are vessels full or filled with the Holy Spirit of God. 
Okay? We're not perfect vessels. We have cracks. We have holes. We get damaged. But the Holy Spirit lives in us and fills us and keeps us going. We are redeemed. We no longer need a ceremonial cleansing. Where he was writing this to the Corinthians, I want to remind you how immoral these people were. All right? And they were still under the influence of this ceremonial cleansing. And I want to show you what Paul wrote in the earlier book, 1 Corinthians. We're in 2 In 1 Corinthians, Paul says this to these people. He says, Or do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor infeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers shall inherit the kingdom of God. He goes on. And such were some of you. But you were washed. But you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. When one of these people became a Christian, they no longer needed to wash their hands to go to church. They no longer needed to wash their feet to step into the temple. Jesus says... You've been washed. You've been washed by His Word. You've been washed by His blood. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Right? When you became a Christian, that old covenant washing went away. And the new covenant Spirit came within you and washed you clean. Do you remember when uh, Peter and the disciples were in the upper room the night of Jesus' arrest? And what did He do to them? The Bible says that He took a bowl of water and a towel and He took off His robe and girded Himself with the towel and He sat down and He washed their feet. Very humiliating if you've ever had that done. Uh, to you, someone washing your feet, that's very humbling. Amen. Jesus makes his way around the table and he comes to Peter and Peter says, uh-uh, you ain't washing my feet. In other words, Jesus, you are more important to me than for you to wash my feet. And what was Jesus' response to Peter? He said this, Peter, if I do not wash you, you will have no part with me. So Peter says, okay, then don't just wash my feet, wash my hands and my head. Wash all of me, Jesus. And Jesus says this to him. Peter, the one who has bathed does not need to wash everything but just his feet. What did he mean by that? He means this. That when you stepped into the kingdom of God and Jesus Christ brought that new covenant into your life, you were washed. Clean. Everything gone. Now, as we live in this world, we need a daily cleansing. Not all of us. Not our whole body. I've already been bathed. 
in Christ. I've been washed, but once in a while I need my feet washed. Once in a while I need to wash my hands because of the sin in my life. That's what Jesus meant to Peter. One who has bathed does not need to wash everything but just his feet once in a while. Here's what Jesus said in first, or John said about Jesus in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. Very famous memory verse. It says this, If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I stepped into the kingdom of God about 27 years ago. Jesus washed me. New man, new creation. But I've lived a life now where I need a daily cleansing very often. If I confess my sin to Him, He's faithful and just to forgive me of that sin and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Man, that is the old covenant washing, the outside of you, compared to the new covenant washing, the inside of you. Have you had that? Have you had the inside of you washed? Are you clean and pure in the eyes of God? That's a great question you need to ask yourself. It's something that we all need to know. The next thing about newness is our approach to God. The old approach to God was very difficult. Okay? The old, uh, the old tabernacle in the wilderness had a place called the Holy of Holies. It was a little bitty room with a... The showbread, the uh, altar with the mercy seat, the Ark of the Covenant, and the lampstand. Thank you, memory. And that was wrapped around with this curtain called a veil. Little room, probably not much bigger than this area right here. And inside, nobody could go because that represented where God was. The mercy seat on top of the ark, that was his throne. That's where he sat between the two cherubim, right? And so only one time a year on the day of atonement of sin could the high priest go into that room. And he did that to make a blood-sprinkling sacrifice for the sin of the whole people outside. So that little room and outside of that room was something called the inner court. And that's where a Jewish man could go. Now, only the high priest could go in here one time a year. Out here in the court, which was a large room like this, a Jewish man could go. Outside of that was a wall, and then outside of that was another place called the outer court, and that's where the Jewish women could go. And a Gentile man. So, that was how you approach God in the Old Testament impossible okay why because he's holy and we're not and we can't come close to him in fact that veil was put around there not to keep you from looking in it was to save your life because if you did look in you would die the sinful eye of a man looking at the holiness of a holy God would kill that man Happened several times in the Old Testament, by the way. That's how you approach God in the Old Testament. Oh, hallelujah, we don't have to do that anymore. How do we approach God today? 
Here's how we approach God today in Hebrews chapter 10. It says this, Since therefore, brethren, we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He inaugurated for us through the veil that is His flesh. I can go into that holy place now. I can go before a holy God. Why? Because Jesus' blood covers me. God looks at me and He sees His Son sacrifice covering me. And I am allowed to come in to the throne room of God. I don't have to go through a priest. I don't have to go through ritual. I don't have to go through cleansing and washings and all of that hubbubaloo today. I can go directly myself to the throne room of God. What a great thing that God has done for us in accomplishing that. You know, any child, I I have grandsons, and you know, grandpa's not uh, ashamed to light them up once in a while. I already had to do that on Sunday morning. That is a sin almost in itself, to spank your grandson on Sunday morning. But I did. He's misbehaving. He's not going to do that. But guess what? He's still my grandson. And he has the privilege anytime, anywhere, to come to his grandpa about anything. That relationship will never be broken. Amen. Amen. He may not want to come to grandpa, but he can. I could go to my earthly father anytime. That was a privilege of being a son, was able to go to your dad when you needed him. Amen? That should happen in any family. Why would not it happen in God's family? As a son, as a daughter, we have the privilege to go before Him anytime, anywhere, any moment, for any reason whatsoever. That is what's been made open to us in the new covenant. We come to God with confession and expression Right? I express my feelings to Him. Here's what Paul wrote in Ephesians 3. Now to Him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to Him be the glory. You can come to your Father in heaven anytime, and He's going to do for you beyond what you can even imagine. Amen? What a great privilege we have being the children of God. By the way, are you taking advantage of that? Do you cower down and hide back from God as a Christian because of your sin or because of your guilt or because of your shame? We just learned in 1 John, if you'll confess that to Him, He's faithful and He's just and He'll forgive you and He'll cleanse you of that. So apply that to your life. Don't hide from Him. Don't run from Him. Come to Him. Get close to Him. That's His desire for you. I want to conclude with this. If you would look at the Ten Commandments with me, in your mind's eye, in those ten things, and we see those as a mere man sees those, as a man without Christ, as I used to see those commandments, you know what they're really doing? They're mocking me. Those commandments were mocking me as a a mere 
human being. You can't live this. You can't do this. You can't live up to this. And I would try and try and try, but I failed. And every time I would read God's law, it would mock me. But when I came to the Sermon on the Mount, that's a lot more pleasant than the you shall nots. This is a beautiful message of Jesus. Three chapters in the Bible and we read it and it's so pleasant. But yet as I looked at that as a mere man, I could not even live up to that. I could not have mercy. I could not show that. I was not pure in heart. I was not I was judging people. I was doing all the things that that beautiful message said not to do. That message was mocking me. And then one day I met the teacher of that message. I met him in my bedroom at four o'clock in the morning on my knees. And I said, Lord, I know you're here because I feel your presence. And if you can do for me what you've done for my wife... I want you to save me and forgive me and come and be the Lord of my life. And at that moment, Jesus entered me and he gave me a hunger to read his word. Guess what I ran across as I opened up his Bible? The Ten Commandments. And now instead of them mocking me, I were seeing how they worked in my life to point me to Jesus. And when I went to the Sermon on the Mount now as a new believer, I saw that I was able to accomplish that with hope and grace of God. I was able to be merciful now. I was able not to judge people now that had hurt me or had afflicted me or oppressed me or judged me. Now I was able to turn the other cheek. Now I was able to go the extra mile. As a mere man, those words mock you. But as a Christian, those words lift you. Those words inspire you. Those words help you. That's what I wanted to, see, uh, to end with today. We must look at them modestly. We must look at them graciously. The world tries to measure us as Christians. What's so different about a Christian? It's the way he lives, the way he talks, the way he behaves, the way he treats people, the way he takes abuse, the way he takes mockery, the way he takes scorn and slander, that's the way the world sees a Christian man and woman. Let's talk about one thing and we'll go. Purity. Purity. You know, our society today doesn't have a clue what that word means anymore, do we? To have a, a pure young woman. Or to have a pure young man. Our society is against that, really. It teaches the opposite of that. So when our society sees a young woman or a young man from our group stand up and he's pure. Man, they don't know how to react to that. They don't know what to say. I know what to say. Hallelujah. Amen. Glory to God. There is someone who's getting it, who's living it, who's displaying it. We need to pray for our young people. 
the world will see them being different. And that's what attracts people to Christ. That's what attracted me to Christ was His love for me and His love for man. Think about that in your life. The new has come to us. The old is gone. Look what God is doing in His people today. Let's pray. Lord, bless our young people today. Bless them with the purity that we find in the Bible. Bless them with the holiness that they are set apart for your use and your kingdom purposes. Lord, bless everyone here with the knowledge of their salvation. If there's one here who's not sure, then Lord, bless them with your grace this morning. Father, you desire so much to save men. Let them see your love and your grace today as never before. Let them know that the old can be gone and the new will come. We all need that, God. We all want to live in that. Help us to do it in Jesus' name. Amen.